I'm so impressed. I got to turn this around. I looked down at 7 o'clock sharp, and boom, he was up here, ready to, song leader was here, ready to rock and roll. And he told me I'm going to have 40 minutes and so, uh, to teach this class, and I got up here and, uh, to see what time it was when I started at 7.20. Uh, I have 40 minutes to teach, and uh, I don't know if that ever happens, uh, at least where I'm from and the places that uh, I worship and go. And so uh, it's great to be with you. I've had, uh, like Troy mentioned, as kind of interesting. Um, I guess it's happened before, and I don't know why, maybe it just seemed a little bit more significant or impactful, I would say, uh, about two and a half hours or so to mull over what I was going to say to you, uh, to think about my outline and uh, mark it up in my mind. And it's been, let's see, March 10th-ish, right? That's when we stopped meeting together in League City, um, that spring break, end of spring break weekend, I'm assuming similar things happened here. And it wasn't until about two or three weeks ago when I was a guest at another congregation that I've had the opportunity to speak to people like face to face. I've been talking to a video and it's been super annoying and uh, difficult, very hard. And we're still not meeting. We met once and then uh, we're still not meeting, and I'm dragging on here to tell you, and I guess making excuses for myself, if I get off track and uh, just go a little bit crazy, uh, I, having the opportunity here to speak to you is a blessing, and I'm so excited to do it. Um, so I'll try to calm down, I'll try to stick to my outline, and I will uh, certainly get us out on time, but how amazing is grace? When Andy told me what your topic was and how this was developed... I was thrilled. I was already thrilled to think about grace. And I want to tell you a little bit later how I've been specifically impacted and personally impacted in understanding the grace of God here in the last year. But when was the last time you were amazed by grace? I know we sing the song and we think about grace often and we read about it all. You can't read through the New Testament. You can't even think about God very often without at least the idea of grace and what it is, this great gift that we have. But, uh, you know, I was watching Facebook not too long ago. I have a three-year-old son, and it said three-year-old does what? And I, so I click on the video, and there's this three-year-old kid. And he's buckled up with the helmet and all the He's going downstairs, like steep stairs on a skateboard. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and he falls once, boom, boom, falls again. But then... Boom, 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 boom. He goes all the way through the end and he gives the video a pump and I'm like, he's three, like, I was amazed. That's incredible. Um, it was not too long ago, my son, scared to death of water. Incredibly scared of water. He won't even get in, but we got him a life vest and put him in the water and, oh, he thinks this is amazing. Well, the next day, we're sitting there and he says, I think I could swim without this. And he just jumps in. My wife and I are sitting here, and he jumps in, and we're shocked. We look at each other, and then we go to get, and he's swimming back to the edge. And he's swimming back. I was proud, but I was amazed. How does that happen? Like, he was deathly afraid. It's incredible. I was sitting this morning in, uh, near San Marcos, Texas, on the San Marcos River, thinking about this lesson and praying and hoping that God would use me tonight and just to see, hear the water run. 
and just see God's creation and sit there. I was literally amazed. And yet I look back in my life. I think about here over even recently about what God's doing and how the scriptures we have and why can't I get amazed more? Why do we have to go to church on Wednesday and why do I have to go to Bible class and why do I have to do the things God's telling me to do? Why isn't there more excitement about some of those things? Why am I not amazed? And so when I think about your subject and this lesson before us and these ideas we have, I'm excited. And especially the topic tonight. Oh, how special an opportunity uh, that we do have, how important it is, and, and yet maybe one of those paradoxes that makes this difficult. It makes it maybe tough, especially if you're like me, I'm a little bit analytical. <laughs> Not the smartest person in the world, but I am. Analytical things have to add up for me, you know? It, it has to, uh, I got an accounting degree. And so uh, it's, you know, this has to come together for me, and yet it doesn't come together. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm so much greater and bigger and more powerful and I don't think like you think. The world influences you and it's not going to add up all the time. And for me especially, I don't know how well you've studied this topic and how it affects you, but it just doesn't add up in some ways. I've got to step out in faith to understand this and I'm still learning and growing and I want to challenge you tonight to, to try to find something, even if this is a topic you know so well, to grab onto something and see how amazing grace is. It's, it's amazing because it makes us stay at the cross, the ground of all our boasting. Grace is amazing because it helps us to stay at the cross. Kneel at the cross. Christ will meet you there. He'll meet us at the cross. But why do we want to go everywhere but the cross? We even take something so focused, commanded, and we try to make it into something else. How about this table? You ever thought about the table? You might not do this, but I did it the last time that I gave the talk before the Lord's Supper. I'm giving the talk about the Lord's Supper and what I'm so excited about to tell people is the hope that we have, right? I'm talking about the resurrection. I'm talking about everything but what he says we're supposed to do at the table. You remember? First Corinthians, the gospel accounts are full of them. When you gather around the table, you're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're to think about the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross. You're supposed to stay at the cross. And yet we get so off track. I hope you'll open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. And you'll study this with me. That you'll be encouraged by these things. That we will be motivated to stay at the cross. The ground of all our boasting. I want to read the verse to you in which was selected. The Galatians 6 and verse 14 reads, 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Far be it from me, the Apostle Paul, to boast in anything but what the the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to take just a moment, um, not go into too much detail, we don't have time for it, but just to go back. Let's think about Galatians, a broad context. Um, Talk just briefly about that and then jump back to Galatians chapter 6 and see a few things that will help us stay grounded, that will help us stay at the cross that I hope will motivate us to just to be amazed by grace. The grace of a great and powerful God. Galatians is an interesting letter. It's a confusing letter to me in some way. I mean, I don't think it, it's necessarily confusing. There's com- com- confusing aspects to it, right? We have to know a significant portion of the Old Testament to get a full grasp of this impactful book. Paul is talking to Jews. He's talking to Jewish Christians, those who have been steeped in the law that are just even trying. He says, I marvel, chapter 1, I marvel that you're trying to go to another gospel. Not that there's another gospel, he would say, but that you're trying to distort this gospel and create a new one and go back and make it the old covenant in some ways. And one of the big topics you see in this letter, if you're not familiar, is circumcision. Or at least he uses circumcision in a powerful way to to discuss the old covenant at large. But the specific idea of circumcision is important as well. This seems to be, if you go read, perhaps you want to take a note, we don't have time to go, Acts 15. Acts 15 and get a, a broader context for what's going on here and the need for people to feel like, oh, you have to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian and put on some of these aspects of Judaism Um, And I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know or um, helping you understand that in a powerful way. But we need to know this. And and one of the other things that that jumps out in my mind about Galatians also is coming after, right, the letters to Corinth. And he writes these long letters. But this is a, a brief letter. And he hasn't left them very long. Writing to these churches in Galatia. It's just a short, brief letter because he wants to get to the point. There's not really a a lot of talking going on. There isn't a lot of issues that he wants to address. Surely the church has more issues, right? Have you ever been a part of a church that doesn't have any issues? Right? We're people. We're humans. We fail. We get far from the cross and so things pop up. But here he just wants to focus on one thing. He wants to be really quick to it. He says, focus on the gospel. And you'll read all the way through this letter about the cross of Jesus. One of my very favorite memory verses, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know that one? The young people know it. I don't know when that was first arranged to the music in in the which uh, I learned it. But uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Right? And so we think about this power, the power of what? I've been crucified with Christ. It's the cross that motivates. He's trying to teach them that you can't go back. You're not saved by yourself. There's nothing you can do 
to make yourself right before Almighty God. It's the work of the cross, this incredible, incredible idea, this paradox that is the thing that will save you. It is the thing that we need to know, and it's the place that we need to ground ourselves. And I believe we'll come to be amazed about grace. We'll come to preach Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul would tell the Corinthians. That's what he ultimately says here in Galatians, right? I didn't come to baptize you. I wish I wouldn't have. He says, I didn't baptize any. I'm going to be getting off track here. Let's go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 before we jump right back here and see what he says. I think it's about verse 13. Uh, when he's talking about the division, it's 14. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? That's what he has to ask. Is that amazing? Are we preaching anything but Christ and him crucified? Are we leading there? Can I just ask, what do you lead with? Or have you led with anything? When was the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus and what he's done in your life? If you haven't, I don't think you're very amazed by grace. What do we lead with? Christ and him crucified. Is Christ, was he crucified for you? That's the question. Look at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you are baptized in my name. Is baptism unimportant? No. We're missing the point if that's the argument. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize But what? To preach the gospel, not with words and eloquent wisdom. Why? Lest the cross be emptied of its power. Can I just encourage you when you're talking about amazing grace and when you're leading with people and wanting to know what we should talk about it, it should begin at the cross. And I hope our study tonight and the time that we have will will hopefully help you, will encourage you. Notice what he says in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And it does seem foolish. It does seem foolish. Are you familiar with Psalm 22? Psalm 22, Psalm 23, perhaps we're very familiar with, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we know that, but these are these messianic psalms. But in 22, though, we have about five prophecies. Five prophecies of the cross of Jesus. Is that amazing? Around 1,000 B.C., I believe. Um, I'm not a scholar. That's what those who study dates and things say and it's interesting that the idea of crucifixion hasn't been invented yet when those words are written. It's the Persians. It's the Persians in about three to 400 B.C. who are going to develop this inhumane, unbelievably cruel, disgusting way to put people to death. And it was to be this sign It was to be this sign that would deter the most heinous crimes. The most heinous crimes. Later when Rome adopted this as a form of punishment, notice what the great orator Cicero said about it. He said, to to bind a Roman citizen, that is to the crucifixion, is a crime. You couldn't crucify a Roman under incredibly, incredibly heinous accounts of treason. 
it was almost never happened that a Roman citizen would be crucified. You remember when Paul, he, he says, I'm a Roman, right? In that moment when they're arguing, you can't beat me, you can't scourge me, you can't be inhumane to me. Because he was a Roman, he had those rights and privileges. This was such a heinous, they didn't put their own people through this punishment, right? Cicero says, to flog him, that is a Roman citizen, is an abomination. To kill him, almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There's no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. Later, Cicero also commented, the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, from his eyes and his ears. I don't know if that impacts you, and I, I wish I was better at communicating, right? It's one of the most difficult challenges and things I'm still struggling with in terms of learning how to preach and teach. It's taking all the stuff that you study and learn and be able to, to help you see what I see, right? That has impacted me, and here's this heinous act, this incredible thing, and yet what happens? It becomes the very thing we're to proclaim in a Roman world of, a, full of people who shouldn't even put it before their eyes, shouldn't have it as thoughts in their mind. God says, that's what we're going with. Couldn't we talk about the good works of Jesus? Couldn't we just talk about how incredibly nice he had to have been? How kind he was. I want that. I want to, to know the Jesus who shows up to that woman in John 4. The one who shows up to Nathaniel in John 1. I don't want the one who shows up to Nicodemus in John 3. Have you ever read through that account and seen how harsh he is? to him you're a teacher of the law and you don't know these things it seems like Jesus is being sarcastic and judgmental and what well because he was a teacher of the law and he should have known better here's Jesus and instead of leading with his kindness instead of putting the motto of the Christian religion and what was going to be the lead if you will as these people are going to talk about Christianity he chooses this inhumane, painful scourging and death. He chooses the cross of Christ. It's truly amazing. And I want to just talk about a few reasons why I believe that we need to stay here at the cross before I hope to encourage you and motivate you and help you, I hope, see what's so amazing about the grace of God through this topic. One, I think one of the reasons that we need to stay here and we need to really try to dig deep and understand this paradox greater, to understand why God would you do that, is first that he's made it beautiful. He's made it beautiful. Um, Anybody wearing a cross? We 
in the Christian world, we tattoo them on our bodies. We have a cross back there. I'm sure others, maybe we have a charm. We have them on our walls. It's this gorgeous symbol. This is an act of capital punishment. Right? And perhaps you've heard, you think about the way that we punish people today for their heinous crimes. Those who I believe God ordains our government to do. To take the life and the electric chairs. In other ways that we've done it. But can you imagine wearing one of those around your neck? We'd say, that's crazy. That could never happen. You know, there was an argument. Or there has been an argument. I, I think, I don't know. I don't, did you have a cross? Perhaps here's a, a place that over the years, right, our fathers really struggled with this idea that we would turn the cross into an idol, right? We're, we're scared we might turn this cross into an idol. If we wear it and think about it, we, we won't see its significance. And uh, that's a whole argument. I would love to study that and, and talk with you about that. But I, I don't think that we're making it an idol because we're not the ones making it beautiful when we wear it and display it and are, are proud of it, so to speak. Didn't Paul say, if you're going to be proud about anything, what should you be proud about? 614, it's the cross. It's the cross. He makes it beautiful. Listen, God makes the cross beautiful. He says, this is the power that transforms your life that saves your soul. You remember Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6 in this great place we can go to think about the connection between baptism and the cross. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. How do you become a Christian? Well, you have to identify that with, with that death. You have to put to death yourself. You have to die and then be raised to walk in newness of life. How does that happen? Is that not beautiful? What, what does Paul say? I, I'm a debtor to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? We're talking about the death of Jesus and his resurrection. We're talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. He's made it beautiful. That's a, one of the most powerful reasons we need to stay right here at the cross. We need to lead with the cross when we think about Jesus, when we think about sharing this message, we can't measure its impact. I, I, this popped in my mind, and I'm going here. This was one of those things that, that showed up for me. Paul argues that, remember, they, they got divided over the baptism issue. You ever seen anybody get divided over the baptism issue? <laughs> you ever seen a preacher leave? You ever seen a preacher leave who baptized somebody and that person leaves also this congregation? Or that congregation and we have such an affinity for that person. We're not so much different than those folks in Corinth. If it's not the cross that we identify with and the gospel, we too can have this idea. But we can't boast in this. You can't count it. Tell me as you look side to side, can you measure the impact the cross of Christ has? Can you tally the numbers? We can count the money. 
But can you tally the numbers? The impact of the cross of Jesus? I think that's one of the reasons we should stay here. I can't boast in that. I can't do that. I can baptize somebody. And I could be proud of the way that I can convince people to get in the water. And I have. And oh, how foolish it is for us to esteem those ideas. And I, I think that's one of the reasons we need to stay here at the cross. Because we can't count it. We can't put a number on it. We can't measure its impact. Look at Galatians 6 and verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For what? In due season we'll reap if we do not give up. We'll reap if we do not give up. We're going to talk about this section in greater detail in just a moment. But why? For in due season we will reap. When's that season coming? I don't know. Can you really tell what's happening because people are staying next to the cross? Yeah, we're going to see good works. We're going to see transformed lives in many ways. But I can't number it. I can't put a check mark. And is it putting a check mark one of those things that, man, just frustrates us? Or maybe it doesn't frustrate you. Maybe that would, that's what you've been doing. I got my Wednesday check mark. I'm doing good. I'm okay with God. That's not one of the check marks he gives us, and there's not check marks. And I think that's one of the reasons we need to stay here at the cross. There's no room for boasting when I stay here. I have to lean on the amazing grace of a great and incredible God. Uh, we could talk about others, but I'm going to run out of time to really discuss uh, two or three things that I really want to discuss in terms of our motivation, in terms of what's so amazing about the grace of God. And the first one is it motivates me to work. I'm talking about the grace of God motivates me to work, right? You ever been motivated for anything else? Uh, I have um, just one of my children, the 13-year-old is very motivated to work if money's involved. <laughs> if money's involved. I've maybe failed as a dad. I don't know. I hope he's, he's a great kid in many ways, but he's 13. I don't know if you've gone through the teenage standpoint, but money motivates him. And um, I'm not faulting him. Money motivated me at 13 as well. But if he, he's going to work, like you dangle a $20 bill, I can get him to work for a month. Just 20 bucks. He's a pretty cheap labor. But... What motivates you to work? Why do you talk to people about Jesus? Why do you teach a Bible class? Why do you run the sound room? Why do you turn on the lights and open the doors? Why do you count the money? Why do you sweep the hallway? Why do we do the things that we do? What motivates us to work? And I guess maybe even more importantly, what stops us from working? Look at Galatians 6, 1 through 10. I want to read this whole section. I think it will be an encouragement to you and to me for us to put the word of God in our hearts. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Does that not work? Work. 
We see people hurting. I, I want to help them, and I am help. Why am I helping them? In the spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something and he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. But don't be deceived, verse 7. You see that? Isn't it so easy to be deceived when you step out in faith? I always struggle to understand this. I don't know if I fully grasp what he's saying. But why does he tell us to be careful in helping people? It's so easy to be deceived. I'm going to go help this couple that's having marriage issues. I see a sin in their life, and I'm, I'm going to go help them. Is it not easy to feel a superiority over my marriage? Oh, we haven't committed adultery. We're doing really well. We've got things figured out. Look at us. Pat myself on the back. And in having that kind of superiority, as I go talk to somebody who's in a lesser sin, so to speak, can really get to me. You see Galatians 6 and verse 7? Right? Because am I perfect? The one who on the way to church was griping and nagging at my wife before I got out of the car to to come in and and yet I'm going to be the one because I haven't committed adultery that I think things are all okay and that's just one random example, but I think it helps us to see verse, do not be deceived. God's not mocked for what one sows he'll reap. Be careful lest you are also tempted in this works type mentality that not leaning on the amazing grace of Jesus I hope that that illustration made sense and was helpful for verse 8 the one who sows to his own flesh for his own purposes or out of his own self will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit from the spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary in doing good Is that not so easy to do? (laughs) It gets hard. And you know one of the reasons it gets hard for humans to to not get weary in doing good? Because we can't measure it. I think all people are like this, but I've been told from psychologists, so don't hate me, ladies, if I get this wrong, um, I'll, I'll take the lumps. Um, I'm okay with that. That happens often. But uh, guys especially love to work with their hands. That's why when you're having a conversation maybe with your husband and he's trying to fix it, and you're like, just listen to me. <laughs> I don't want you to fix it. I just wanted to tell you how bad my day went. Like, I know how to fix it. I just want to talk about it, right? But guys, what, we sometimes are foolish and we want to see something for the work that we've done. I want to see success. I want to see transformation. I want to see completion. And I want to have something to hold on to. And in Christ, you just don't have anything to hold on to sometimes. It's never finished. There's always a battle to fight. There's always something difficult to walk through. It's a challenge to stay at the cross and to not get weary and well-doing, but the cross motivates me. 
It motivates me to work with the right motive. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. When I put the cross before me, man, when I sit at the cross and I read about the cross, if I'm not motivated to work, ouch, I better watch out. There's something wrong with me. The cross of Christ, when I think about the cross of Christ, one of the reasons we need to be motivated, we need to be motivated to leave sin. It does motivate me. When I think about the cross of Jesus and how I was saved, isn't it foolish? We read through Galatians and see people who are, I'm saved because I was baptized, or I'm saved because I'm showing up to church. I'm saved because of the, you enter what your thing is. I think we've all struggled with something at times that makes us feel superior, that makes us feel like, oh, God is definitely happy with me. Look how great my kids are. Look how wonderful my marriage is. Look how many Bible classes I teach. Look how many camps I've served at. Look at this or that, and I don't know if I hit yours, but there's something, generally speaking, but I'm motivated to something deeper. I'm moving beyond those elementary principles. I, I'm motivated to leave sin. I'm motivated to leave sin. Are you familiar with Hebrews chapter 5? And what motivated Jesus to leave sin? Have you ever thought about that? He was tempted, wasn't he? What does that mean that the Son of Man himself was tempted? Right? Isn't it? We have this great high priest who what? Verse 8. He learned obedience. Does that put you in awe? Jesus? He had to learn obedience. How did he learn obedience? Through the things in which he suffered. Peter would tell us that in 1 Peter, it's necessary that Jesus suffer. I think it's 1 Peter 2, 17-ish. It's necessary that Jesus suffer on the cross. He learned obedience. He walked through temptations. He, he was... He wanted to quit. I don't know if quit was necessarily the right way to, but you remember? You remember when he's praying, as it were, Luke tells us, sweat drops of blood? There's actually a medical condition that you can sweat blood. We, we don't know if that's what, it says like, as, you know, it's just giving us this metaphor about that. It could be just heaps of sweat. Why though? Because of the cross. Because of the suffering he's going to go through. What put Jesus on the cross? Why was Jesus crucified? Because of my sin. That was the only way in which my sin was going to be removed. I could be restored. In preparing for this lesson, I heard a preacher talk about the Carroll family. Carol family was a special family to them. And he remembered even details about their driveway 
and how many houses they were down. And he named each family in between them, but there was two or three he didn't know. You know, it was the Johnsons and it was the Carols. And he remembers them specifically because of this story. It was the Carols in the 50s who their son was sitting in a, a supermarket parking lot. He was sitting in a supermarket, supermarket parking lot and a, a man came up and pulled a gun and shot and killed him. And I don't understand it. The individual who's telling the story didn't really understand it, but I guess at that time, maybe I don't know if they still do this. You could tell me perhaps. They asked the parents as they apprehended the man and they found the murder weapon. You want to see the murder weapon? You want to see the gun that murdered your son? They asked the parents this question. What do you think their answer was? Those of you who have children, what would you want? I don't want to see that. I don't want any part of what killed my son. And why do those of us who crucified the world and its passions want to see and touch and taste the things that killed the son? Why is it so hard for us to kill sin? To get in silly arguments about the grace of God. Because the cross is not our ground of boasting. We're not very amazed by grace. And we don't really understand it completely. And listen, I'm up here and I'm not pointing my finger at you. Because I was preaching for about eight years. And I was telling people all the right things. Everything from scripture. And yet in my heart I was burdened. I was really struggling. I'm preaching to you and yet at home I'm, I'm just struggling to be what God wants me to be. I felt like a failure in various aspects of my life. As a dad and as a husband. And, and yet I'm supposed to get up before these kids and teach them. And get up before you and, and preach and I was wholly relying on myself. I had the opportunity, thank, because of the graciousness of our elders and some wonderful people, from some people who took Galatians chapter 6 really seriously and wanted to bear the burdens of those who are caught up in trespasses. And I spent some time in counseling with a preacher. The preacher who preached the lesson when I obeyed the gospel in 2004. And he says almost what Paul says to these Galatians. I'm marveling that after all this time you don't understand the grace of God. You can't be a perfect dad. And you can't be a perfect person. And you can't rely on yourself Stop trying to touch and taste the things that killed the son. When you stay at the cross, when I'm here, I come to learn these amazing things about the grace of God. I'm saved by grace, not by baptism. Yes, I must be baptized. Right? Not by the way that I worship. Yes, I must worship in spirit and truth. 
Not by how many times I assemble with the saints. Yes, I must assemble with the saints. But when I identify myself with Jesus, the Son of God, who himself learned obedience to the things in which he suffered, I need to take up my cross daily. Daily. I think that's why that's there. Because if you don't take up the cross daily, slowly and slowly you'll be going somewhere else. Have you ever noticed that? I know I'm over my time. Let me tell you this last thing as I connect it back to the Lord's Supper and really challenge you to think about this thing. May it not become an idol. May it not become something we just do. When I gather around the table, preacher, you want me to show up each week because we get to hear you and more money goes in the plate? And No. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because that's where we gather around the table. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when I don't have that as the ground for my boasting and the part of everything I do, what happens? I bet those of you who've been here for any time can can start to see what happens when you miss one service and maybe another. And I stop remembering the Lord's death. Or even worse, you keep showing up, but you're not here and you're not tuned in. You're not thinking about the death of Jesus when we're gathering around the table. You're patting yourself on the back for just showing up. The cross has to be the ground of boasting. Or you'll never see the amazing grace. We'll be walking foolishly. And I'm not pointing my finger at you. I hope everybody will respond and do something with this because that's what I needed to do. We can't rely on anything but the grace of a great and powerful God. I hope you're motivated to stay at the cross, that you'll take up your cross daily, and you'll see what's so amazing about the grace of God. God bless you, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight.